You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete Houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe, from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many, day, how many days a week do you spend on As much as I can, to be honest with you. Anytime that I get, I'm, I'm out there. Join us for every heart-pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm going to hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs> Well, it's uh, it's kind of cool because we're both in the same time zone, Chad. Yeah, <laughs> we're not, for once. For once, yeah. I guess we were back when we were together in Texas too, mm-hmm. at the terror trials, and but we didn't rec- try to record anything there. But we're in the t- same time zone. I took a picture mm-hmm. when I crossed into the mountain time zone. It's like my happy space. Yeah, yeah. Yep. When I come west. Yep. The weather is unbelievable here. We're we're on the Paloma. I'm here with Shorty Gorham. We're at 7,000 feet. I mean, it's just, it's awesome. The mountain air is just so much better. I don't, I'm trying to convince my wife it would be better for her soul too, but she's not buying it. She just, is that she's, right? not, she's not a believer. Well, if they're fond of the, the amenities found in the city, sometimes it could be a little hard to get disconnected from that, you know? But She's not. No. No, I mean where we live, it it literally takes where I live. It literally takes me as long to get to town from my house to mm-hmm. you know what I consider town town. You know, let's just everybody gauges it off Walmart. It's the same amount of distance as it is from where I'm at right now. Only is that right? Walmart, yeah, Walmart Ranch is forty thousand acres, and there anybody that lives between here and town. Yeah, 
<laughs> there you go. Uh, it, cool. Well, then, yeah, it shouldn't be too hard then. You know, like, I don't know. That's I, my, I, daughter, I, my daughter's getting ready to have an anchor baby, though. So it's going to be over after November. Mm. Yeah. You got to get her moved before she has it. It's over. No, it's already over. It's that ship has sailed. She actually, she actually, um, uh, told me the other day that if, if I want to move out of here, then I could come home a couple times a year if I wanted. <laughs> well, it sounds like y'all got to figure it out then. You know, that, that's, that's what I'm thinking, man. That's what I'm thinking. That doesn't sound like too bad a deal. <clears throat> no. And then once you get used to the elevation, you know, 7,000 feet, once you're good with that, then it's pretty much easier to go just about anywhere else, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, this elevation the only time i've ever had any problems with elevation is i spent the night in oklahoma driving to the white mountains in arizona down at springerville and drove to nine you know i just Mm -hmm. in like a 12-hour period so i went from you know what's oklahoma 700 feet to you know to to nine thousand feet Mm -hmm. and and i got out and i started setting up my camp and and i don't do anything like get the tent out drink a beer, unroll the tent, drink a beer. You know, when I, <laughs> when I'm setting up camp, I'm setting up camp. So I was, I was really getting after it. And, uh, I was like, ah, I don't, I don't feel too good. You know, kind mm-hmm. of feeling swimmy headed and, and everything. And I went over and told the guys, I was like, Hey, I'm going down to Springerville, which was at 8,000 feet and, uh, spend the night down there. And then I'll come back up in the morning. They say, once you get over, I listened to a few podcasts on on altitude sickness, and mm-hmm. they say you got get you got to get down to eight thousand feet or below uh, as fast as you can. Okay, so that was huge. I spent the night in Springerville in some little ratty motel, and went back up on the mountain the next day, and I was fine the rest of the time. But coming yeah. out here at this elevation, this hadn't bothered me. Yeah, with uh, just actual altitude sickness, it never really gotten me my problem is just the simple day-to-day type stuff like we moved out here <clears throat> i forgot my shoes downstairs or something and i ran downstairs grabbed my shoes oh. ran upstairs and bent over real quick to just pop them on you know just pull on boots and you pass and, uh, out you know how like sometimes when you hunch head. over you know sometimes when you hunch over to do your shoes <laughs> you like you might hold your breath for just a second you know yeah yeah and after running down the stairs running up the stairs and then hold my breath i went to stand up and i <laughs> <laughs> I almost, you go I almost down. went out. It was almost yeah. over for me. So yeah. Uh, yeah. It's crazy stuff. Yeah. Man, we got we got a heck of a show uh this week. I yeah. don't know. If if people haven't heard of this guy, then they must be living under a rock or something. But mm-hmm. we managed, and this was through Anthony Pace with Freedom Hunters. Um uh, Jim Shockey is our guest for this show. That's right. And Chad, I'm glad that you're riding shotgun here with me uh, in the intro on this thing and the outro. We'll discuss a few things after the interview. But um, so Anthony Pace with Freedom Hunters, Jim Jim Shockey sponsors, well, the bear hunt that Seth just went on was a Jim Shockey sponsored hunt. That's right. That's right. Which was epic. And then they have the Jim Shockey Classic, which is a golf tournament live auction, all that stuff that raises money for freedom hunters. And, uh, and again, if, in case you've been living under a rock, freedom hunters is one of our good friends. We coordinate all of their hound hunting adventures there for freedom hunters, where we take 
America's warriors, our veterans, Gold Star family members, and even active duty military and deployed on on uh, hound hunting adventures. They do all kinds of other stuff over there. They do shooting and pheasant hunting and and mule deer and elk and all kinds of stuff. But but uh, that's what Freedom Hunters is. And Anthony helped us line this up. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, he knows. Uh, he Anthony Anthony takes good care of us. That's for sure. So thanks, Anthony, for this one. If you haven't checked out Freedom Hunters, you can find them on our website by going to houndsmanxp.com. Click on our Partners tab, and they're right there. Check out Freedom Hunters. It is the time of the year to start making plans for the fall for those outdoor adventures For and veteran. Take a veteran. I mean, you won't have a – we're both veterans, aren't we? Who wants to take That's us right. hunting, Chad? There you go. I want to go. I'll take you hunting. You take me hunting. <laughs> that, that, that might be what we have to do, man. <laughs> Well, um, hey. but yeah, check out Seth's stuff. I mean, like that's the quality type hunts you're going on, right? He, he'll he'll be doing a show on that here pretty soon, I'm sure. You know? Oh, I think it drops at the end of this week. There we it? go. There we go. That sounds right. I got to look at the schedule, but I think it's coming out Friday about the uh, all mixed up is coming out Friday. So you're getting double mic time this week, right? <laughs> yeah, we haven't scheduled that that yet, but. Oh my gosh. But, you guys yeah. better get on it. Yeah, we'll get on it. We'll get on it. Uh, El Jefe is going to be sending nasty grams. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, that like by the time this comes out, that'll be right behind it. If you're interested, though, like check out like how many bears they get on and what kind and quality of dog. It's just it seems like an adventure. So you know, if that's the kind of stuff they show Seth, imagine what they're showing our you know our veterans and stuff. So I think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think about the? Uh, do we do we want to follow up? Let's do a follow up. Let's let's recap. Let's recap, but let's get right into this Jim Shockey interview. The guy's been in the business for six, almost sixty years. Yeah, uh, he's he's seen everything in the hunting industry. He's he's traveled around the world, hunted all over the place: Africa, Asia, uh, Central America. He's been on several uh, hound hunts. And he talks about those in this in this interview. So, what do you say we just roll let's get right it. into it, Chad? Let's get. I it. think that sounds fantastic. Let's get it. All right. The Houndsman XP podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsman of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsman. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this made-in-America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say made in America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. Welcome to the Houndsman XP podcast. Jim, I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. You're, you're a busy guy. You always have been. And, and, uh, thank you. Appreciate it. It's, it's my pleasure. Yeah. Busy is one way to put it. Trying to live about four lifetimes in 
this one lifetime we were given. That's been my goal since day one. Yeah. And I think that you've, uh, you're only trying to live four because it looks like it's about, you know, half a dozen to 10, maybe. Yeah. Well, I, I, I also try and avoid sleeping. So I figure that doubles the four. So probably <laughs> at least eight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'll tell you, I'd really like to hear your, uh, your background. Uh, you've done all kinds of hunting across the world, made TV shows about it, you know, everybody knows who you are, Jim. And, um, but you know, we, we talk about hound hunting. I, have you ever had much experience with hunting with hounds? I've had a lot of experience. I mean, obviously more than the average hunter out there, but, uh, yeah. but I'm not, I, I definitely don't call myself a houndsman and that that's, that's next level stuff. Uh, but I, I sure have appreciated the opportunities I've had to hunt with actual houndsmen. And, mm -hmm. and their their hounds. I mean, it, it's uh, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a big big fan of it. I, I a lot of people might poo poo it and the hunters, which is ridiculous. But but to see a houndsman work with his hounds is uh, like I say that that's just next level stuff. I mean, I've I've got my dog at my feet, but that's not a hound, and it, and it certainly isn't trained like hounds and isn't a a work dog like like the houndsman's dogs. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean, I've had a back to your question. I've I've had a fair bit of it ar around the world, actually, not not just in North America. Right. Yeah. What's the uh, what's what would make you make a statement like that? As as houndsmen, I think most of us, you know, we all want to identify as houndsmen, but the very few of us really achieve that upper echelon where, uh, you know, in my mind and the way I've always defined, if somebody else's telling me that another person says that guy's a real houndsman it always is a, a moniker or a title that comes from one's peers more it means more than when when somebody jumps up and says well i'm a houndsman but if their peers are saying no that guy's a houndsman so what have you seen uh that that makes you say that that's next level stuff i i well i mean i'll answer that in a second i but you just want to say when you're talking about that being recognized by your peers there's a scene in the movie a beautiful mind i think russell cole was playing a fellow that had demons you know yeah. he, he was um I, you know, i'm not sure of the clinical term for it and it was a movie obviously but but in the end you know all his peers came up and put their pen on his on his desk in front of him and that that was their recognition of his beautiful mind yeah and that back to what you said that, that means something when you're when your peers designate you a houndsman you know that truly is i think the greatest respect they can pay for you when you when you aspire to be a houndsman right. and, and you know for me i recognize that that i'm not a houndsman so i i technically not even a, a peer but i also am am happy to oh thank you uh really appreciate that the uh, someone just brought me my my coffee <laughs> i'm running, running a little bit late this morning um so so i appreciate the skills that are involved in being a houndsman as a hunter so that's mm -hmm. you know me giving my pen to houndsman all of you uh it's it's my way of saying hey you know total respect for what you guys do the What's... um you know the what what makes a great houndsman there's a fellow Rocky McBride. 
he, you know, he's originally from Texas and mm-hmm. I've hunted with him down in um, Paraguay. He's got a big ranch down there. And, and his son, Caleb, they are the quintessential houndsmen. They, they know their, their dogs, you know, they, 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 um, they care for their dogs. They're, 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 they're like this with, with their dogs. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we were down in Paraguay, uh, darting jaguars and jaguars are, are not, you know, that, that's not like trying to tree a mountain lion. No, there's bad mountain lions, but there's far more bad actors in the jaguar world. And, you bet. And when we were following, you know, I, I was down with them several times um, and went after several jaguars. The, um, the last time I went, it was a big cat. Uh, and we're just darting them. We're not, you know, it's not legal to kill them. We were darting them, putting GPS right. collars on them. That you, you could actually follow online, see where the Jaguar, where they moved. Um, but the he set the hounds on them. And these are hounds that uh, you as houndsmen know how much training it takes and and how much of your life went into making these hounds to the, put it, bring them to the level they are. He, he set those dogs. I, I think there were six of the dogs and four were killed within like minutes and they knew and and the the depth of the sorrow that i saw in rocky mcbride's eyes and caleb's eyes his son caleb that you know that sorrow you can't imagine because because imagination doesn't live at those depths of sorrow mm-hmm. and and you know they you know by the same token someone else will say well why did you put the dogs on the on the jaguar well because we were darting them that was the that was the dog's job, the hound's job. Right. And, and you know, so, so there's also a, an understanding that, you know, that that's the life and the death uh, of, of, of the hounds, of us, of everything is, you know, life against death, against life against death. That they, the hounds, when I think, have, have a true understanding of that. And, and I saw that with Rocky, and I've seen that with other houndsman that I've, I've had the good fortune and the honor to, to hunt with now, never at that level where, where the cat basically killed four of the six dogs. I mean, right. uh, That's a bad day. So it's not, yeah, that's a bad day. And that, Mm -hmm. that's, you know, years of training went into those dogs and it just was a bad day and, and you can't, you know, it happens. And sure. And if you don't, if you don't do it, you know, I say, if you, you, you can, if you sit at home on your couch worrying about what might happen, nothing ever will. Exactly. You, you just won't live. And, and so you've got to let the hounds do their job and, and do your job and you train them. And, and you, that's a, that's a measure of the risk. It's an objective danger that, you know, without it, you, you didn't, you sat on your couch and didn't, you just worried. You right. didn't do anything. So, so again, a houndsman to me is someone that has that special connection with they're hounds and, and they just become one. And I've seen it over and over around the world. Well, that's a pretty big endorsement coming from you, Jim. And, and, um, we really, we need a lot more, uh, you know, people that are, that are at the level that you're at, if there is anybody that, that can bridge that gap. It seems like there's so many fragmentations in our hunting community and, and gaps in there where, people want to identify and they want to be, well, I'm a, I'm an elk hunter or I'm a deer hunter or I'm a, you know, and then, and I'm a trapper, I'm a houndsman. And at the root of that 
it's really ripping us apart as a hunting community and makes us extremely vulnerable in this day and age. It's, I mean, it's such a classic, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, divided we fall, you know, yeah. divided we stand. I mean, it's just classic. And it, it, to me, it's, it's absurd. It, 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 it's hypocrisy when mm -hmm. uh, and I'll, I'll use an analogy. I've used it before, but it's like a three-toed dinosaur looking at a four-toed dinosaur as, as the comet's coming up to earth <laughs> and, and, and saying, well, I'm far more evolved than you because I've got three toes. So I'm going to survive this. And you've got four toes. You're a, you're a dinosaur. You're all dinosaurs. And that comet's coming at all dinosaurs. It doesn't matter. You know, it, we're, so why are we pointing at three toes, four toes? It, it doesn't, it, it's, it's keeping us uh, our focus inwards instead of what it needs to be is outwards yeah. and, and dividing. I'm an elk hunter. I'm a traditional bow hunter. I'm a traditional muzzleloader. There you go. All that. When I, when I was doing inline muzzle loading, well, you're not a real true muzzle. Huh? You know, wait a minute. You know, I use yeah, a hundred grams I shoot of a flintlock, Jim. I shoot a flintlock. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. So, so, so we should be, you know, we should hate each other. We should be divided instead of standing united. Uh, it, 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 even, even I'll tell you, even, you know, I only, I've had this, um, it, it was uh, General Chuck Yeager, actually. You know, I'm going back in time and, and bless him. He's a, he's a hero. Truly always was a mm -hmm. hero of mine. And I, someone had invited him bear hunting uh, up in our opening territory. And, he, and you know, General Chuck said, he's an interesting guy. We, we got along good over the years. And uh, he said, well, I'm never going to hunt a bear because I only kill what I eat. Mm -hmm. and, okay, I get it. You know, and that's fair enough. That's your choice. And he never, to be fair, he never said that you know, out to the greater, he was just him and I talking about that. Mm -hmm. But I see it nowadays where people, I only kill what I eat and I only eat what I kill. And that gets them out of a conversation in a cocktail party. Well, you're a hunter. That's bad. Yeah. But mm -hmm. I only eat what I kill and, and, I, and I kill what I eat that then that suddenly that's okay because the vast majority of the people out there, they hate the idea of trophy hunting. You you kill an animal, cut its head off. But as soon as you say, well, I know I eat the meat, you know, that's, it's organic meat. I, I, it, it gets you out of their argument. They, they love it. They go, okay. You know, they, they may not do it themselves, but they understand that. Oh, you're good then. But when you do that, you're throwing all the other hunters under the bus. Right. So you're saying the hunter that travels down to Mexico to hunt coos deer is, you know, he's a trophy hunter because he's going all that way. He can't be doing it for meat. Well, that's right. And in today's world, there's very few of us need to ha to hunt for subsistence. There's some, you know, I have many friends up in the Inuit communities and First Nations communities, and and there's people that you know, have, you know, colonists that came in after contact that right. still hunt for subsistence, but that number is very low. So that the problem with I only do this and I only do that and I do it this way and I do it that way, you know, I use a bow and arrow, he uses a rifle, so I'm. You know, from the outside, people look in and say, oh, okay, so even they think it's bad if you use a rifle. Well, you know, the vast oh. majority of hunters out there, and, and it divides us. So, so uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I, I'm not a, I don't have a lot of tolerance, and I try and be a tolerant person, but I don't have a lot of tolerance when hunters attack other hunters. 
because of the way they hunt. You know, I'm more ethical. I'm this, I'm this. So I, I think it's hypocrisy and we don't need that. We need to be united and, and stand as a block. It's It's much, much stronger. You covered a lot of ground there and we've got a limited amount of time here, but I, I, this thought came to mind and this is something we do on this podcast a lot. We talk about the narrative and keep and having control of the narrative for who we are and what we do. And that narrative has been hijacked by people that, that wanted to, to seize control or policymakers to influence policymakers and things like that. So so you take it back to the person you talked about getting a person out of an argument at a cocktail party. Um, you know, that's simply given up. That's a capitulation to the other side because the person hasn't actually contemplated, considered and developed the narrative and understood the whole picture that it takes to, uh, defend hunting and the and define the values of hunting. It goes beyond providing food, especially in the 21st century. You know, it's 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 much easier to, you know, go to the grocery store and buy stuff than it is to go out and gather your own wild food. In some of the places that you've done it, is it's much easier for me to write a check at the grocery store than to go where where hunters go to do what they do. And, and, and so that's one thought that came to my mind, you know, we've got to control that narrative and you can't just capitulate. You just can't stop and say, oh, I'm against trophy hunting because it's the new thing to say. And it gets you, gets you off the hook with some of your friends that might be on the fence about hunting. You got to be able to talk about it, why it's important, why, why we're hunters and why we, what value we bring to the table. I, I agree hundred percent. And I, you know, I've had this, you know, similar discussions about this. Uh, we we cannot, we, we have to go beyond the meat side of it, you know, and, and, and when we control the narrative, when you're talking, you, you said it in a way, but what it really is, what, what does hunting mean for all of us? Mm-hmm. And what will stand, withstand the attacks and withstand the, the forces that are against us? And that, that's the spirituality of it. Yes, that's why that's why we all do it, because it's good for our souls. It puts us in touch with our ancestral soul. And when you talk about terms like that, now you're now you're at a level here as opposed to people looking down at you. You know, now they're going getting in touch with your ancestral soul. Okay, I kind of get that. You know, (laughs) like I'm, I'm dissatisfied with my life sitting in my ivory tower on the 23rd floor that becomes a tomb when there's a pathogen around that, that like COVID, you know, whatever COVID right. was, you know, and, and that's not the big one. When the big one comes, those are tombs. Those are 23 stories of tombs. It doesn't matter if you've got the penthouse suite, the houndsmen, the hunters, the field to table livers, farm to table, you know, people that live those lifestyles, you know, those aren't tombs. Those, those are freedom to be out there in the wildlands. And th- these are now starting to be terms that people understand, but you you got away from just, you know, I, I hunt for for meat. I mean, come on, you know, you right. said it. it, by every measure, it makes no sense. Economically, <laughs> time-wise, you know, what we do is not for meat. 
it, that's part of it. That's a part of it. It's like a part of hunting is the kill, but it's only this much of the kill. Yeah. The, the actual process, the camaraderie, the the traditions, the family, humor, adventure, that's what makes up the cultures of these places we go to. And, and believe me, you can go to Louisiana and that's a different culture. You know, like it's, there's culture in North America within right. our own groups. So, so that's part of it, no matter where we go and, and to appreciate, to embed yourself with those cultures, to understand, you know, what, what those Mississippi noodlers are, I think they call them hand, hand yeah. grabbers or whatever. Yeah. They, yeah. I mean, it's fascinating and to do a, to do a, a crawfish boil and, and, you know, a catfish fry. I mean, yeah, that that's what hunting is all about. That's truly what hunting's all about. And and when you say control the narratives, that's what we need to be doing uh, is is talking in those terms, not trophy hunting's bad. And and it, the problem with getting into the conservation of it, which is the science of it, is most people, you know, you lose them. You know, well, hunters are conservation. You know, you've lost them already in the conversation right. because it's science. But they do understand when when they're feeling a little bit empty in their lives at whatever job they're doing, lawyer, accountant, professional, uh, unprofessional, it doesn't matter. You know, if they're feeling empty, when you start talking in terms of, I feel whole, satisfied, I, I breathe fresh air and exercise and and I'm healthy and healthy here, healthy in spirit. Yeah. People get that, that people understand that. And, and well, you know, and, and plus you eat organic you know green that's kind of the catchphrases nowadays yep uh, huh and i i you know and i'm not i a cow is great i mean i'm all for it ranchers thank goodness for them they're some of the greatest conservationists around they look after the wildlife so it's not saying cow is bad and you have to go hunting is bad no it's just saying it's basically saying try and understand us try what? you know take a moment and try and understand who we are we're not louts that spit on the floor with no higher sensibilities. You know, we can actually articulate to a degree our feelings, you know, which I think is back to the original problem, the narrative, not all of us are, are, are you know, can. You know, it's not mm -hmm. easy. We're hunters. We're, we're outdoorsmen. We love living out there by ourselves. And we let people, we live and let live is, is part of our problem. Why do Why do we have such a hard time? I saw a statistic the other day. My question is, why do we have a hard time bringing this hunting community and you mentioned the ranching community all together? Because I saw a figure the other day released from Sportsman's Alliance that was $407 million a day is what it averages out to be. $407 million per day being pumped into wildlife, wildlife management, conservation, all of this stuff. With numbers like that, how are we still losing or have the perception that we're losing? Because in my mind, our PR game needs to be different. We need to, we need to get that word out there, but, but why are other people allowed or are able to get, get a foothold in this conversation that hunters are not contributing or we're just taking? It's, it's really, really simple. Uh, you know, Bambi wouldn't have succeeded if, if Walt Disney would have talked about conservation. 
you know, but bad news that sells for two dollars. Bambi's a success. Yeah, you know, and that's the same. That formula has been working for the last sixty years. Mm-hmm. It's big business. The right. the mainstream media is big business. Make no mistake. They're not giving you the news on both sides. They're giving you whatever news makes the money. And bad news sells. I mean, listen to the news. Why do you think there people died here, people died there? There's this, there's this, this happened, this happened, tornadoes, hurricanes, floods. You know, why are they doing that? Because bad news sells for $2. Good news sells for $1. Right. So, so. That's why we we don't have you know that's how these people get their day in the sun and have for the last sixty years is they've they've they come in with a parcel of bad news. I today I just wrote a post. It'll be going out in the next few days. You know I post and or I write the post up and then they they get scheduled in. Mm-hmm. And it, it was it was about a, and I'm I'm digressing here, but it was there was a, a hang a tractor, you know, hang our field and it's beautiful mm-hmm. mountains. There's a lake in the distance and it's, you know, the dust coming up from the hay. And, and I said, there's two type of types of people in this world. One looks at this and, and I said, which one are you? And I said, the first type looks at this and said, loves to see the farmer harvesting, you know, the, the hay loves, loves the fact that it's a sultry late spring fall and loves the smell of our late spring day. It loves the smell of fresh cut hay and, and the blue mountains and the silver lake. And, and I said, the second person looks at it and said, I hate the tractor because it's using fossil fuels. I hate oh, yeah. the fact that diesel smells and the noise pollution. I hate the fact that the farmer's cutting down grass that's been invade and it's been introduced. It's invasive from Africa for his hay crop. I, I hate you know, the silver because it's, you know, the air pollution. I hate the blue because the mountains were logged, you know, and, and I'm ashamed of being human. Mm-hmm. Or we're destroying this planet. And, I, you know, which one are you? So, again, it's human nature. We we just, we we tend to dwell on bad news. And, and we're <laughs> trying to tell a good news story. We're happy. We're hunters. We're spiritually sated. You know, we have everything going for us. We understand family and tradition and morals and ethics. And, you know, that doesn't sell newspapers and it doesn't it doesn't <laughs> sell it doesn't sell eyeballs on, on the news programming. So so that's why we've lost control of the narrative. We're, we're just nice people. And, yeah. and, you know, nice people finish last, I guess, in, in today's world for now, for now. But, that you know, that's why you'll see on both sides of me the. The, the novel I wrote because it and I, I'm not trying to segue to the novel, but, but I was going to say I was going to spin off of this right into your novel because there's so much media out there that is against us. And you have written a new novel that's coming out shortly. And I wanted to talk to you about that novel. If if good news sells for a dollar and bad news sells for two dollars, is there a lot of bad news in Call Me Hunter? <laughs> you know that's a that, that, you know that's a very interesting way interesting way of looking at it. Bad news sells for two dollars, so yes, there's bad news in Call Me Hunter, but it but it who is the bad news about? And th- this is in Call Me Hunter. It's a novel. It's a fictional thriller. I call it an abstract thriller because it's like cubism, where you know an art form that 
the Picasso where you know what you're looking at, but it's but it's something's wrong here. Well, what I did was I flipped all the stereotypes around and called me Hunter. Mm. And and so yeah, there's bad news, but it's not about us. It's it's about the other side and say, so how does that feel? And and the thing is the, the why I did it was again, you know, people look at us like we're louts, we have no higher sensibilities, we can't articulate a sentence. And and that's just not true. You know, we just don't bother because you know, why why do we have to prove to you how we feel inside? Mm-hmm. Well, the people seem to demand that nowadays. So so what I did was I entered their world, that world that's outside of our world. And they, you know, you're an author, a novelist. Well, that's kind of a respected tradition. It's it's an art. And you right. guys can't do art because you're, you're just louts. Yeah, you're just well, knuckle well, draggers, killers out there on the landscape. Yeah. So so when did you start? Of, end, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. When did you start writing the novel? When When did this project come to light? What did you, when did you say, hey, I'm, I've hunted all over the world. Now I'm going to write a book about it. Yeah, it, 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 I wrote the first basically chapter, the first page I wrote in about 1991 or 1993, somewhere in there. Wow. Uh, 96. Yeah. Some, so and I haven't changed it. I mean, Javago's dead. I killed him. That's the opening lines. And I wrote that. And, and so when did this come to, into my mind was sitting on in the, bamboo rainforest of Ethiopia waiting for a mountain yala, sitting in a customs office in Russia waiting to get export permits for this or that, whatever it was, mm-hmm. uh, sitting on a sitting on a comatic in the Arctic with my Inuit friends, you know, with dogs ahead of me, you know, looking for polar bear. I, this is when this novel, I wrote the novel doing that in my head. I, you know, in some ways, it's like a prisoner where you, you know, you, you, you're you're there, and and okay, well, you can keep your mind going, but you know, you're, you're bouncing across the tundra in this comatic for the next eight hours. You might as well keep your mind focused. So I, I did that, and and uh, in 2016, I determined that 2019 October Mozambique would be my last international trip. I would have, mm. you know, been there, done. I got the T-shirt, did what I needed to do for our museum, our hand-to-man museum, and and then and that it was time to sit down and write that novel. I had a story to tell when I wrote it. Started writing it back when I I didn't have a story to tell. I hadn't lived enough to be mm. able to tell a story. You know, how can you be a writer when you're 20 years old? You can be a talented, put words together, but. Tell me again what you're going to write about. You haven't lived yet. Sure. You, I mean, you you think you have a 20. You think you're the smartest person in the world. But, you know, it took me until I was, you know, 60 before I felt I had a story that was worthy of telling. And I could finish off the chapters that I started way back when, 25 years before. So, so I sat down and started writing in November of 2019 after that Mozambique trip. And then COVID hit and up here in Canada, they pretty well shut everything down. So I had nothing else to do anyway. So I, I just wrote and, and wrote the novel. Um, and, and I did it to be able to enter that world, to to be part of their world and, and say, wow, this is a good novel. But you, you can't write a good novel because you're you. We just have to look at your 
you right. know, history, and you can't possibly, you can't, you know, so it's cognitive dissonance. They, they, I've got a stereotype of what you should be, but, but you did this, which I respect if, you know, but you've written it in a way that it, it twists all my stereotypes of what I believed you are and what I believe these people are in it. And I did it on purpose. I enter their world. And if it does well, if if every hunter goes out and buys this book, even if they never read it, just give it to your aunt. Uh, or it, it, we there the sales would be high enough to put it on the New York Times bestseller list. Now you've got a hunter with a number one bestselling book on the New York Times. All these people are business people when they're in their ivory towers in New York City, wherever it is. They understand money, and and they're making money with number one bestsellers on the New York Times list. So, yeah, they'll let more hunters write more novels. Say, wow, there's a demand for this. Let let's let them in. And what happens? You change the narrative. You start controlling the narrative. I've flipped around the stereotypes. Yeah, the the antihero is a hunter. It, you know, the the villain is an anti-hunter, uh, an animal rightsist. Mm-hmm. You know, I flip those around. Well, you can't. The bad guys are always the hunters. Well, no, they're that, not absolutely. So, so I've just tried to do something that that mixes up their world. We know what we are, but they don't know what we are. So now they've, and if it does well, like I say, it'll open up the doors, the floodgates, doors that have been closed to us since Hemingway and Ruark sixty mm-hmm. years ago. You know, doors that slam shut with Bambi and. And have really remained close to us to be able to tell our story. So if it if it does, and and Jack Carr, you know, who wrote Terminal List and all these yes. bestsellers, you know, th- that Jack started it. Really, he he got the door open and and look at the success. So the, these guys with the money that are that basically they they decide where we're going with with news and with, <clears throat> with mainstream media. They see that. Holy cow! There's a demand for people that just kind of tell it like it is, and and you know we get away from the the wokeness of the world out there. Yeah, and, and there's a demand for it because now we have a, an, a we have a way to reach into that world and 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 get a voice. So so that's what I'm hoping. Call me hunter, like I said. Nothing. We talked about unity. If hunters got together and bought this, and it's not for the money. We're you know I'm in our hand to man museum which 17,000 square feet, I don't know what, it, you know, the land, the building, the contents, it's millions of dollars. And we're, we're giving it all away. Louise and I, my, my wife, my soulmate of 39 years, we're giving it to a foundation. So it's not about the money. We're giving everything away. It's about giving us a voice, doing what's right for hunters and changing the perception of hunting and hunters in mainstream media. Well, you brought up Jack Carr, and that is um, an example of of uh, what I've been talking about for a long time. Is you know bringing hunting back to the mainstream conversation, and and showcasing. I mean, yeah, there's so much there's so much stuff that that gets hunting wrong, and then when we see people like you and and Jack Carr, they're saying, "Wait a minute, there's a story to be told here." You're not telling it right. We're going to tell it the way it should be told, and that's that's such a valuable, an honorable thing for you to do, Jim. So, so let's all the money is going to a foundation which funds your museum, and what tell us about that? Yeah, it's not that's not 
quite right. I, okay. I started, I, I had a vision for a museum when I was 10 years old. And, and I stayed on that course my entire life. I knew where I'd go, people I wanted to see, the things I wanted to gather together, what I would want to see in a museum at 10 years of age. Mm -hmm. You know, we lived in a trailer park when I was growing up. We had no money, but I could get National Geographic from the library. And I could say, I'm going to go there. I'm going to go there. I want this and do this. And and it was pie in the sky because, like I say, we had no money. But I, you know, I left home at 17 for university and I just kept going. I mean, I, I traveled around 306 days a year on average for 20 years and over 200 days a year before that. My life, I was a peregrinator and, and always with the intention of this museum. The hunting was part of it. To, right. to, you can't go buy those things for a museum, a natural history museum. How do you think those those pieces get into the museum? Well, you, you can't buy them. You've got to go get them. Mm -hmm. Mostly museums will send out hunters to do their own, but then then they're missing the point. They're not understanding the people, the hunter gatherers, the the communities that that survive because of that. They they kind of I don't know. I, I, academics and the operatives in the field, never the twain shall mix. So there's no story there. And I thought, no, I'm going to live it. I'm going to go do it and gather these things for this museum. So my life's goal has been to put this museum together. It's the Hand of Man Museum of Natural History, Cultural Arts, and Conservation. That's the education component of it. And it's, like I say, 17,000 square feet packed. I mean, everywhere you look, it's packed with things and and natural history object, cultural object, and stories that go with them. We've done it all on iPads. Uh, we bought our children's old school, actually. Mm -hmm. Maple Bay Elementary School in Maple Bay, British Columbia on Vancouver Island. And and converted it into this museum. The the um, the response has been incredible. We had tw over 26,000 visitors last year. Amazing. And We'll hit over 30,000 this year. And we're not on a main drag. We're not on the highway. We're <laughs> off. You have to want to come here and see it. We get there's no, there's no, there's no Norwegian hmm. cruise ship that docks outside and people. No, you know. no, that, no exactly. <laughs> we could probably cater to that audience as well, but I, I haven't gone there yet. You know, I don't think we need to, I think word of mouth is going to keep this place so busy, but you know, we get two to four classrooms a week through here, children that, are seeing real things. They can go this close to a polar bear, you know, that's mounted. Well, you can see one in a zoo too. And, you know, you know, the, the animal's in a zoo and you've got to be far away in its cages. And But here they can go right up to it. And, and it's not on a screen, a digital screen. They can actually mm -hmm. get a perspective on it. There's a whole room, sensory safari room, where they can touch all everything, all the hides and, and whatnot. And, and the response has been unbelievable. I mean, Google it, you know, the, the Hand of Man Museum and look at the reviews. We, we, you know, you're going to get the loud, vociferous, one in a thousand. We keep track and they are loud and they're going to make sure, sure their voice is heard. So, so, you know, and that's so 26 a year. And usually it'll be a, uh, you know, two or three of them together that are, you know, just, just want to hate, you know, hate, sure. hate, hate, hate. Their whole life is, it's got to be an ugly life to, to be so shamed. But, but it's what we're doing, and back to the question, it's donation only. So access to this museum is donation. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I grew up in a trailer park. If it was $1 admission, I could not have come in. But if it was donation, I could have brought a grasshopper, a pretty rock, a mm -hmm. seashell. Look at, you know, hey, Mr. Curator, look what I brought you today. I would have been a curator's nightmare. I'd have lived in here. 
So it's always going to be donation only. And what my wife are doing, we created a foundation to put the land, the building, all the contents, everything that's in here into that foundation and an endowment to cover expenses for 40 years. Wow. So that's the goal. And we it's been a year and a half of working on this now. I just signed all the board of directors, whatever we have to sign off lawyers. And it's astounding how much you have to spend to give things away. So, <laughs> so I, I, I mean, it's, it's going to be $100,000, $150,000 to, to give the, all this. I mean, we're giving it away. I don't care about the tax write-offs. It's not, you got to make yeah. money for tax write-offs. And, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I, I'm not worried about that. So so that's what we're doing. And the, the proceeds from the book, that'll go, that'll be, I mean, that goes into the pot uh, if there's any proceeds. Right now, it's about $1.50 an hour. It's working out too. So there's not a whole <laughs> bunch of proceeds yet. When does the book? My, I, it's what? Uh, I was going to ask you when the book come. When does the book come out, Jim? You, you can Google "Call Me Hunter" right now and pre-order it. So okay. and it's on Amazon and it's on Chapters, Barnes and Noble. They're all selling it, uh, and, and it'll be on audiobooks too. We just worked out the other day who's going to be doing the reading of it. I, I'm going to actually read the second-person perspectives. Um, it's and it's complicated novel stuff, but I'm sure. gonna read those. But the the body of the novel will, you know, the other eighty percent will be Scott Brick, who does all the Clive Custler novels. I had to go to go to the mattresses to get that. Uh, they wanted seven different readers and actresses and actors to play. I mean, it's a big deal. They're these guys. They're planning to print one hundred twenty five thousand copies of it. But if wow. you Google "Call Me Hunter" right now, you can pre-order it, and that way you'll get get a copy for sure as soon as it comes out. October seventeenth, I believe, is the release date when when it'll be in the bookstores. And but it, to be sure to get a copy, that's that's the way to do it, just to pre-order it right now. And I'll I think make on sh- Amazon Prime is what. Oh, I was just going to say I'll make sure I get that uh, get a link from your from your folks to put in these show notes. Sure. Yeah, that's a, above my pay grade. Yeah, I'm not sure what a link or an app is, but uh, <laughs> whatever. Whatever. But I've got good people here that are really smart. They can they can make that happen. Yeah. But yeah, you, sure. and again, pre-orders kind of determine where it sits on the New York Times bestseller list. You mm-hmm. know, enough pre-orders, you you move that needle, and that right. that's what we need to do. I mean, I, I would love every hunter to go, you know, buy ten copies. And believe me, I'm not making tons of money on ten copies it's it's not about the money it's it's about giving us a voice and supporting we, something that it gives we have an entrance into that world right now and if we do it right then i have to be on talk shows i have to have they have to give me a voice and and I, i'm happy let's let's talk about hunting let's do you know, it let's do it yeah, i think i, I think it's I such think a so. valuable thing uh if we can move the needle with with works like this um it's it's going to be huge for the things that we're most passionate about, the thing we've put our, you know, our financial and our spiritual investments in our whole lives as hunters. So kudos to you, Jim. I can't think of another guy that, that would be um, more qualified to write this book. I can't wait to read it. Well, like I say, you know, it's a thriller. It's a fictional thriller, but there's a, a lot of truth in it. It's, yeah, uh, you know, I, I mean, I didn't have to make up a whole bunch. Like I said, <laughs> but I had a story to tell. It was, uh, and that—that's my story.
Yeah. Well, Jim, I know you're a busy guy and, um, I appreciate you carving out this time out of your schedule to, uh, to talk to me and, and talk to our audience. And do you have any closing words of, of wisdom for, for my audience before we wrap this up? It, I would say never apologize. You, you, you know who you are, you know what you stand for and, and anyone that's not a houndsman out there that's listening to this, you know, try, try a little tolerance and yeah, you know, they might run by your stand on your stand in some state, you know, who knows, but we're all kindred spirits and we need to stand united and, and just tolerate each other, understand at least and accept. And, and that'll make us stronger as, as a whole, but we have to be a whole. If we're divided, we can't, there's, there's absolutely no way we'll, we'll be around in a hundred years. So united, we have to be united. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate your time and uh, hope we can talk again soon. I could talk to you for hours, that's for sure. We just well, scratched the I, surface. I, yeah, I can blabber for hours too, so be careful what you wish for. Hey, one, but, thing, yeah, I'll, thank one thing I'll add, mm -hmm. and I want to thank you for something else too. Right now, as we're recording this, uh, Seth Hall from Hound, the Houndsman XP team is actually in, in British Columbia participating in a Jim Shockey tribute hunt, bear hunt, right now with some veterans. Wow. Yeah, military veterans from the uh, I'm not sure if they're from the United States or from Canada, but so yeah, you're we, you're affecting you're affecting uh, our world in a great way. We do our best. It's never enough, and the veterans. I mean, you know, we're we're all here with our freedoms because of them. So, so I, I do my everything I can. It's never enough, like they say, but I, I do my best. And we have our charity golf event every year down in South Carolina. Yes. And uh, raise, I mean, we've raised, it's getting upwards close to a million dollars now for to take veterans of the armed forces on all expense paid hunts uh, yeah. and outdoor adventures. So, so that's, I love it. Love to hear that it's making a difference. And I, I promise I'll keep doing that with every ounce of energy that I have. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate you a lot. Thanks for everything you've done for hunters and keep up the good work. Promise I will. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Guys, this is a no-nonsense podcast. You guys know that. And I'm going to talk to you about Onyx because I'm sitting in camp in New Mexico right now. I've never stepped foot on this ranch. And I've used Onyx so many times in the last three days. With their high-definition maps, I can see mesas, I can see grasslands, I can see the canyons. I know where the critters ought to be living, and Onyx helps me find those spots and get to those spots, and it totally augments my tracking equipment. I could buy a map card for New Mexico, but this year alone, I've hunted Louisiana, Indiana, Kentucky, uh, New Mexico, I uh, didn't hunt in Colorado, but I was there. Montana, I've been in Montana. So you do the math on the map card, and when you buy Onyx at their elite price for around 100 bucks a year, I get all of these maps that are right on my phone, extremely clear, landowners are marked, state lands are marked. It's all right there. Check out Onyx at onyxmaps.com and get with it, man. And at checkout... Enter the promo code HXP20 and you will get 20% off of your Onyx subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. 
All right. So there you have it, folks. Jim Shockey, the one and only. The man. There it is. Man, I'll tell you that he's just so well spoken. I mean, when you have done been it in the business as long as he has, um, he just he's got such a great message for hunters and hunting. Yeah, and uh, the book sounds good. You know, I'm excited about it. But like like you're saying, he smooth, smooth has an agenda and and, and gets his point across. You know. Um, yeah. I think of it. So yeah, I, I enjoy listening to him talk about hunting, you know, you know, he, he, he talked about hunting with Rocky McBride mm-hmm. and, and Jaguar in Central America. And it was, it wasn't really a hunt. It was more of a conservation study and yeah. Rocky, Rocky's still involved in that. So, um, I, I really liked his message about the united front of hunters you know, all of us coming together. Right. Yeah. We all need to do that. And I think every single venue that I've been a part of is guilty of it in some fashion. Not all of them, you know what I'm saying? But like, for example, I have some Falconer friends that don't, you know, they're like, well, isn't hound hunting kind of harassment? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Almost as much like harassment as it is to to take a wild bird out of the, out of the, out of the wild and go hunting with it, buddy. You know? And then I got, (laughs) and then I've had, I've had a hound hunter buddy of mine before. Like, I just, well, I just like to leave wild animals alone. You know, like, I don't want to, you know, what are you talking about? Can you say that while you're standing underneath the tree? You know, so I'm not going to point the finger at any one group, but, but a fellow like me, that's kind of, I wouldn't call myself an expert in any one venue, but I've had my hands in just about all of them and been, been like mildly confident at each. <laughs> um, but I've seen it. Like we, we do, we chew each other up, you know, yeah. and well, yeah, we should be sure. defending each other at all costs. We get tribalistic. I mean, even if you look at the, uh, just the hound hunting community, you've got plot guys, you got red bone guys, you got, you got, you know, gray dog guys versus registered dog. Mm-hmm. You know, we, and I, I think, I mean, isn't that kind of normal though in life and the human spirit to, to be kind of, you're drawn to, to like-minded people and, and you're still, we've all got a competitive edge at some point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. You know, like you're, let's just take plots and walkers, right? You know, they're going to, they're going to nip at each other's flanks a little bit and, you know, and then some of that playful competitive just 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 like you know the marines and and the army you know are gonna exactly gonna pick at each other a whole but but there's really no nobody to lose in either of those you know it's preference and like everybody's accomplishing something but but i feel when we do that at different types of hunting if like the the still hunters are after the the houndsmen or the houndsmen are after the trappers or whatever there's somebody's losing and it's all of us Right. It's all of us, you know, it's Good not message. that playful banter anymore. At that point where, you know, you're, you're crippling hunting and that's yeah. what all of us are trying to do and, and pr- protect for our grandchildren and, and further, you know, I think a lot of it comes because people just haven't taken the time to understand the different types of hunting. And so mm-hmm. they haven't, they haven't developed a narrative on how to, you know, talk about their specific specialty you know say you're a deer hunter you know they haven't spent the time to understand how to talk about their love and passion 
and really lay that out without throwing it under the bus, somebody else under the bus. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, well, I'm a deer hunter, so and I'm not like those trappers, or I'm a deer hunter and I'm not like this group. You know, it it's a it's a deal where it's easier to attack somebody and and especially when you're being attacked than it is just to spend time and develop your own narrative and just be able to defend what you do and your passion and your lifestyle on its own merits. Yeah. And all of us could every venue. Well, it's just, you could even go outside of hunting to any, anything else. It, it doesn't any kind of hobby sport venue, whatever, you know, but we're just going to break it down to hunting. Cause that's what we all like to talk about here, you know, but right. it, it, even the still hunters, there's ways of, Oh, like, well i mean yeah well that's what we need to do period but there's right. like everybody says like oh well you know the hound hunting you know all you do is dump your dogs and then walk to the tree well i imagine somebody could do that under like ideal circumstances but most of the time we're out there with our nose down in the dirt trying to find out what kind of track this is is this you know is this old are we going the right way you know i've been doing this that all week I, yeah <laughs> it's like uh, up and talcum powder you got dust in your nose right yeah you know like uh, but then at the same time but then but then sometimes again i'm not pointing the finger at any group i'm just giving comparisons for everybody but i, I knew a still hunter back in louisiana when i was hog hunting all the time and uh he was like oh well your hog dogs get in the way of my deer you know and this was the same person that would take every day he would take a five gallon bucket and fill it up with corn a half bag, you know, 25 pounds of corn and put it out on the corner next to his blind. And the deer would have to stick its head into the five gallon bucket to eat. My five-year-old daughter could blow a deer away from 30 yards with his head in a bucket. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> everybody's got, you know, the, the folks that are going to do it the wrong way. You know, it's just, what is the community trying to promote? What standards right, are we trying right. to set as houndsmen and as still deer, deer hunters? You know, and they wouldn't hang that up. They wouldn't say that that's hunting, you know, <laughs> what, shooting what a deer. Do you think, what do you think about what Shockey had to say about it, though? I mean, he went in pretty, in pretty deep about, about unity. My favorite thing that he said, and I will admit that I'm even guilty of this sometimes, in order to prevent an argument sometimes, you know, like you're out somewhere, you might be, you know, at like, some dinner, whatever. I don't really do this very much, but uh, my my biggest thing, I guess, would be like taking my daughter to swim class or something like that. I'm like, all right, we got to right. teach how to swim, and I'm over there like, hey man, I heard you hunt hounds. Oh yeah, what well, here? Check this out. Look at these pictures, you know. And I'm kind of showing what I got, you know. I'm excited about. It. I always right. love showing off. I'm proud of my dogs, you know. Yeah. And uh, they're all into it, and then somebody next to it kind of look over and like, oh, you so you you tree lion, huh? You you shoot lions, and I'm like, yeah, and I eat them too. But, and it's just to shut them up as fast as possible, right? you know, and, right. and Jim got into using that, that as a, what you're doing is you're, you're leaving the rest of our hunting, you know, brother and, and sisters uh, abandoned there. You don't need to eat it <laughs> specifically lion. I know I'm kind of probably the odd man out there, but bear or deer or whatever. Like We've been eating lions this week. Yeah, it's good, yeah. ain't it? You know, it's a little oh, lean. Yeah. It's like pork. Yeah. It's like less there salty pork, a little leaner, yep. you know? Yep. And um, depending on what they're eating too, you know, but, but I, I really like that about him. And I've been guilty of that before when I'm just trying to get that person off my back. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't want to debate here, you know, and make a scene. This is about my daughter's swimming class. Let, let me shut this guy up, you know, and it's the truth. It may well, be how, the how truth. should you, how should, how should you handle that? 
Uh, well, the, the, generally, if you really want to do it the right way, you got to kind of prepare for a talk, you know, explain, yeah. uh, for example, and, and, uh, around me, it's, it's, uh, it's easy for, it, I, it's easy for me, I guess, because that's what we do on this podcast. You know, that's right. what we do is by pr- producing this podcast is talk about why we do what we do. So I spend a lot of time going down the road, thinking about different things and aspects of, of why, especially why the heck do I produce a podcast? You know? <laughs> There's a lot of that going on, but, uh, all the money. Oh, you bet. You yeah. Bet. yeah. I'm squatting out here on, in Shorty's house on the ranch. <laughs> I won't even tell you all the stuff we've done this week, but, um, anyway, yeah. So I think we, we have time to reflect and I know not everybody is a wordsmith. I'm certainly not. I stumble and fumble around and stuff, but you have to be prepared to answer that question. Mm -hmm. And you've got plenty of time to do it as houndsmen. We always have plenty of time to develop that narrative. If you just stop and think about it, you know, I love one of the things that we've done in the past is asking people, why do you love to hunt? What is your why? Heath produced a show. What is your why? Just mm-hmm. think think about it. Develop the narrative. That way, when you get ambushed the next time, it's you can at least give a n- non-hateful answer to it. Mm-hmm. There's a chance. There's always a chance. You can tell pretty quick on who you're talking to if they're just trying to insult you or... Or, yeah. you know, they, they have an open mind, but an ignorant mind, you know, and right. ignorance, not stupid. They're just uneducated in the field. So you can tell pretty quick what it is. And if they're wrong, then just politely deflect, you know, but if they're, if they're, if they're kind that of could, you think they're receptive to, to being educated on it. There's all kinds of stuff to bring up, you know, like, for example, out here, when, when, when a, a tracking collar goes off that they use to, uh, to collect data on bears and lions, and they want to know you know, where they're going, how they're doing so that they could protect these lands. Right. I mean, this is important. Mm-hmm. The diet and, 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 you know, making sure the public property doesn't get sold off. This is important. They use all this data. They got to know where the bears and lions go to know where they have to protect them, what they have to do. So that's fine. And when those collars goes off, guess what? I get phone calls. Let's go find that rascal. Yeah. And they get a game camera, like one of the trappers. Here you go. How about we tie it all in the, the bait hunters, the still bear and lion bait hunters that I've heard of. Um, when they see a bear or a lion on their camera with a collar, they'll check in and be like, Hey, I got, you know, I got a, I got one of these predators here with a collar on it. And they're like, Oh shoot. That must be the one that turned off. We, we lost track of that one. We need to get the collar back on them. And they're right. like, Hey Chad, get your dogs. He was here. Let's go out tomorrow morning. You know, that's really cool for me because I'm hunting out of season, right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and then I'll get to go over and, and watching them do what they do is really neat where they trank them and lower them down and put the collar back on them. And Oh, you know, couldn't, couldn't have done that or it would have been really hard without hounds or i mean i could go on for a while with a bunch of other stuff like uh another one is when they have a lot of uh human bear encounters where they keep right. coming in and knocking over trash cans and stuff yeah they'll say hey c- come on out tree you know like i want you know the biologist wants to know where when what where do you go to tree and all that stuff and you're not allowed to shoot it of course you know but i'm just wanting to tree it anyway take some pictures and enjoy the the ride and then now that bear does not like dogs now that bear does not like humans, and it knows that it got its butt whipped when it was too close to town. So, yeah. hazing them, 
Haze them yeah. away. You know, mm-hmm. one of the play, one of the ways you can save yourself a lot of trouble and a lot of time, because there's nothing. You've heard the old saying. There's nothing like wrestling with a pig. You know, are are no? I'm sorry. Don't ever argue with a fool because they'll drag you down to their level and beat you with experience. That's one thing I always keep in mind. <laughs> yep, the other yep. is arguing with an anti-hunter is like wrestling with a pig. You both get dirty and the pig likes it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> pretty, pretty so, much. Yeah. So here, here's my solution to dealing with those people. You're at the daughter's swim meet. You're looking at pictures with a buddy and somebody sticks their nose in your, over your shoulder. And it's like, Oh, you hunt mountain lions with hounds. Yep. Well, you know, and then they start in on their questions. I ask questions back. It's like, have you ever done it? No, I would never do it. Do you enjoy looking at wildlife? Yes. Okay. Uh, do you know anything about the North American model for wildlife conservation? No. Do you want to know? Do you want to know the truth? And if they say no, then the conversation's over. Took 10 seconds. Conversation's over. I wasn't rude. I like it. Go. If they say like yes, it. if they say yes, and it's like, well, let me tell you a few things. Let me tell you all the values that houndsmen add to wildlife management. The wildlife mm-hmm. that you like to drive out into the national park in your Subaru and take a, take a gander out and, and get your picture taken standing mm-hmm. next to a grizzly bear before you get eight. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, that, or that bison, you know? <laughs> yeah. Flipping you over the hood of your Subaru. Mm-hmm. So, and I can say that. I'm a Subaru owner. I'm a proud Subaru owner. Manufactured right? in the state of Indiana. It's a 2011 Forester. It's got Safari Club International stickers and all kinds of stuff on the back. That would definitely cause some confusion out here. I would <laughs> that does, to, it? They wouldn't know what to think, you know? It's like Josh and Jason Whitaker. I sent them pictures and they were like, well, you're just trying to piss everybody off. <laughs> yeah. 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 I saw one of the funniest things up and uh out pretty far north of me. It was a it was a Prius. And uh on the back of it was a big old bumper sticker. It says I save on gas so I could buy more guns. You know? Oh, <laughs> I, yeah, that was a, I was like, Yeah, I gotta get guy. one of those. Man's got a point. Man's yeah. got a point, you know. Well, hey, let's uh, uh we don't want to make this show about us, it's about Jim. Uh it was. It was about Jim, but uh We've got to find all the allies we can. It's great to know that a guy like Jim Shockey, with his much bandwidth and reach, is on our team. You know, he mm-hmm. is he supports us. And uh, you can support him by watching for that book to drop and purchasing his book. And then he's he's going to use that money, like he said, that goes back into his his museum and and different stuff like that. So he's going. He's going to put that money to good work. That's right. Call me Hunter. Yes. Call me Hunter is the name of the book by by Jim Shockey. Uh, yep. Expected around October of 2023. Yep. Yep. So, well, that's all I've got, Chad. You got anything we need to add before we wrap it up? Not so much. Not so much. Nothing that's gonna we're gonna be able to burn through in just a little bit of time. I, I, Man, I'll tell you what. I come out here every year, and you think you think you're you know this is the year that everything's gonna go smooth. Get out here, and the, the dogs are all sore footed already, and and oh, man, it's tough, especially down in this northern New Mexico country because it's all volcanic composite, some kind of weird geological stuff that I don't know anything about. Uh, yeah, you probably I'll, have the igneous and the sedimentary rock over there. So, so the 
like the sandstone looking stuff Look and the you. and the volcanic rock. Look at you, well read on geology. Yeah, I just you know every now and then I hit Seth with a stick and these fancy words just fall out of him and then I kind of pick <laughs> him up and carry him around with me a little bit, you know, like. <laughs> 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 oh that's great man yeah, yeah that's great yeah but it will chew up the feet everybody likes to say one's worse than the other i think they're 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 worse for different reasons you know but both yeah. of them tear the pads to pieces you know i'm gonna tell you i'm gonna i'm gonna give you one right here and i think this is part of it two of my mm. dogs two of my dogs are sore foot one is not and it's the blue mm. tick male and the blue tick male um is tied out on gravel he's got a gravel base that's the best. So, so all day long, he's on gravel. The two plots are in a wood. Have been in a uh, my kennel, which has got a wood deck board board floor, mm -hmm. and that has got to be it. He's he's not tough. The terrier, I mean, my yog, not sore footed. Indy, the blue tick, not sore footed. The two plots, I've been treating their feet all week. I I swear by it. I think gravel uh, is the best the best base for feet i mean because like out here i got a lot of ground that's like rock hard it's like a skillet you know yeah, and yeah. and then that's good for when they're, if they're running on only slick rock they do great you know the pads are rock hard and they do just fine but if they when they get off the slick rock and get in the grass now that uh you know piece of iron that's on the bottom of their bottom of their foot starts having to bend in the soft grass and then they mm. get cracks and it comes apart and then my dogs that are in the soft stuff you know, as soon as, you know, th there's are plenty pliable at that now, but then uh -huh. when they get on the slick rock, it's, it's too pliable. So it pokes them and, and bends, you know, and like they get, they get all the scuffs and blisters and, and, you know, and it's just not hard enough. So I think gravel's the best because it's hard yet. It's continues to flex. So they don't get flat, hard calluses, you know, so that, right. that gravel gets up there, even in the webbing, you know, that's yeah. the other yeah. thing. It actually gets in the webbing where I don't think there's another surface that does that. You know, yeah, when I, when I get home, when I get home, I'm building a dog yard and I'm going to have carousels and mm -hmm. they're going to, they're going to all have gravel, gravel on a gravel apron. I've got plenty of Creek rock there at the house mm -hmm. uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to build a dog yard and I'm going to get, get these dogs off that wood, wooden plank. It's the, it's the ticket. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, and, and paws are protected. Yep. Seriously. That's I love right. that stuff. I love that stuff. It's it's kept me hunting all week, really. It Especially has. if you get ahead of it. I, I'm sure yeah. you're guilty yeah. just like the rest of it. You wait Absolutely. until you got a problem. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. I got out here. But last week, last week I was thinking, oh, I ought to start grabbing some paws. Because I was rodent dogs and doing st different stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I was rodent them and and but we still don't have the gravel. I mean, it's just you can't do it back there and get their feet toughened up. So I was thinking, yeah, I'd rub some paws to protect it on it. And it's like, oh, I'll start next tomorrow. And tomorrow Oops. never came. <laughs> and then here I am in New Mexico. One good bear, one, one good, one good bear trash race. Mm -hmm. We did get on a bear. We're trying to hunt mountain lions and the trashy plots uh caught a bear. Right. And <laughs> and a, a one afternoon of rodent and they were shot. It was like eh. so now I'm just Yep, yep. Depending on where you keep your food, what I do to kind of force myself, um, I keep I keep my food in uh, pickle barrels. You know, the kind you can spin with a little gasket top. You know, it's like yeah. a little, mm -hmm. I think mine are like 45-gallon drums or whatever, but they got the little spin top with a gasket on it. And uh, I got a few different types of food. Uh, but I'll take it and put it in like a Ziploc bag or even like a plastic grocery bag if you can still find those these days. Right. But just throw it right on top of the kibble. So you got to move it out of the way. 
to feed your dogs, you know? And if I put it somewhere, I'm going to forget about it. But yeah, if I put it too. on top of the dog food, you know, it generally gets put on there. Yep, for sure. And uh, I'm also using the Dogs Are Treat tie-out, which is awesome this week. Yeah, those are well, cool. Hey, man, I'll tell you what. We better wrap this up and um, get this one in the in the bank. So I didn't. I I want to thank. I want to give a shout out to everybody. the The response to our merchandise and our store. Uh, we launched in May and mid May and to mid June. Thank you, thank you to everybody who's purchased Houndsman XP merchandise and uh, repping the brand, especially the Fair Chase T-shirt, yeah. the Fair Chase decals. That is the message. It is crucial. It's going to be the battleground for the future of hound hunting, of whether or not it's fair chase. So thank you for purchasing those items. We've got other stuff there. We've got tumblers. We've got we've got um, knife sheaths. We've got tool hats. We've got embroidered hats. We've got leather patch caps. Check it out. You can check it all out at houndsmanxp.com. Hit the shop tab. Fill your card up. We'd love you. We'd love you for it. So, yep. I think that does it, doesn't it, Chad? It does, bud. That was All a good right. one. All right. Well, hey, thanks for tuning in to the Hounds of XP podcast. This is Fair Chase. <laughs>